0: Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arborgate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arborgate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or
1: arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.
2: Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your Lawn and Garden questions
0: at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to
2: gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We have a I'll say unique hybrid show today. Uh, you know, normally if I have a guest, it's because I'm not here and it's a pre-recorded show. Uh, but today we have a guest and it's still a call-in show. So please uh, give us a call at 845-5689. Or you can email me at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu .edu. Well, today we're fortunate to have uh, Chris Barnes. Uh, Chris, you've probably heard before, uh, he is a beekeeper here locally and uh, actually the owner of uh, Cornerstone Honeybees. Chris is is also very active with the uh, Brazos Valley Beekeepers Association, serving a number of roles over the years. He's currently directing the youth program, and we're going to talk today about all kinds of things related to bees. And if you're a gardener, bees should matter uh, because they're a big part of helping us accomplish why we're out there gardening. So I'm going to switch over here and, first of all, welcome you, Chris. Thank Thank you. you very much for coming. I'm happy to be here today. Yeah, it's good to to have you. And I'm going to pick your brain uh, and learn as much as I can about bees. And I think those of you listening, even if you're thinking, you know what, I'm not going to be a beekeeper, I think you will find it fascinating to learn about the world of bees, uh, the contribution of bees to our food supply. Uh, And also, maybe there is a little bit of interest. Perhaps there is a youth in your life, a child, grandchild, who might be interested in learning more about bees. You're going to hear about a really exciting and incredibly valuable opportunity uh, for them to be able to learn more about this interesting insect. Who knows, maybe you've got a budding Ph.D. entomologist on your hands and you just don't know it. Well, first of all, I want to... just kind of open the, the um, discussion by asking about uh, what is the current status of bees? Over the years, we've heard about concerns with herbicides, or excuse me, insecticides in bees. We've heard about things like colony collapse disorder where lots of bees, especially going back years ago, lots of bees have been lost. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of other struggles that the bee have in surviving in, a, in an uh, uh, environment that we have here. Uh, and so, can you give me an up-to-date on where are we? Are bees in big trouble? or Are they recovering?
1: Um, or Here in the United States, they're definitely recovering. Um, and I think it's more because beekeepers have gotten used to dealing with the uh, diseases that were brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, about, I guess it's been about 20 years now, uh, a new pest came in from uh, Asia called Varroa mites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the Asian honeybees were very adapted, being able to deal with them, uh, which are a slightly different subspecies of honeybee. Uh, The bees that we have here in the United States, the European honeybees, uh, were not able to deal with varroa mites very well. Mm -hmm. And that was the primary cause of colony collapse disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. Colony collapse disorder was multitudes of different factors. Mm -hmm. But varroa mites and the diseases they brought in Uh, were primarily the reason that hives had so much trouble all of a sudden. Right. Uh, Over the last few years, um, both beekeepers have gotten more adept at being able to deal with it. Uh Um, The bees themselves have gotten better. There's been quite a bit of effort uh, amongst beekeeping breeders Uh to um, uh, develop new strains of honeybees that Uh are genetically able to resist both the diseases or mm-hmm. groom themselves and get the mites off of themselves.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah the varroa mite is, a think of it as like a dog having ticks. They attach to the body of the bee, uh, but these would be giant ticks that can literally right. suck the life out of the bee.
1: Um, the varroa mites actually suck the, the lipid, the fat resources mm-hmm. out of the bee, not the blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And that's bad enough, but the real problem with them is that they're vector for other diseases. Okay. uh, Namely, different types of viruses. Uh, There's one in particular called deformed wing virus. Mm. uh, That if bees can't fly because their wings aren't formed, then obviously that bee's not going to do any good. Game over.
2: Yeah, and then, uh, you know, if if you're a bee, life is not too simple. Uh, there's also a tracheal mite that... Now, you think about how small a bee is, and therefore how small a Varroa mite would be attached to the body of the bee. Now think of something so small it lives in the trachea of a bee. Right.
1: Um, that's amazing. There's, there's many different types of mites. In fact, there's some kind of mites that feed on Varroa mites. Well, that's nice. Um, they're... At, for a little while, there was some thought that they may be able to be a treatment for mm-hmm. varroa mites, but they don't, they're not breedable in controlled populations to use as a treatment. Okay. Um, I should mention that just in the last month, uh, varroa mites had um, not been in Australia and they had very tight controls. Well, mm-hmm. they just found. Some varroa mites there, and so now Australia is going through oh boy. some pretty drastic measures, uh, burning entire hives, colonies mm-hmm. of beehives, to try to get rid of them. Right. Um, I don't know how well that's going to work. They probably, in yeah. the end, are going to have to go through the same thing we did here.
2: Well, I hope it does. But we've learned uh, over the years uh, about entomology that, and and it's kind of hard to stop things. We tried to eradicate the fire ant when they started spreading across right. the south, and we nuked the place and it didn't work uh, and it didn't stop them Uh, so but i hope that it works better for their for their sake at least for the bees Uh, when when we're talking about bees and things uh, pesticides also can play a part in their problems and that is a place where i guess the connection of the professional beekeepers and the home gardener kind of can come together as well as agriculture producers
1: right Um, I know personally for my garden Mm -hmm. I have gone to not using any pesticides in my garden Mm -hmm. Um, I I also have some fruit trees on my property Um, while the fruit trees are flowering I don't use any pesticides now once Mm -hmm. the the buds and the flowers are gone Mm -hmm. then I can use some pesticides because the bees are not going to be attracted to those fruit trees it's just a, a measured response, though, that you need to be aware that uh, you don't want to do anything that's going to harm your bees. Okay. Um, now, s- most of the pesticides that we use these days, um, they will kill the bees that they come in contact with, but they mm-hmm. kill them immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a better situation mm-hmm. because you don't have bees taking sublethal doses back to the hive. Right. And then, Bees become weak, but not die. that mm-hmm. that's not a situation you really want.
2: Yeah. now, a number of years ago, there was a study here in college station uh, uh, looking at um, bees and the pollen they were bringing back in the summer, and the vast majority was crepe myrtles, which are all over town. Uh, crepe myrtles have the problem of crepe myrtle bark scale, and the only truly effective way to manage it is using a systemic insecticide going up into the plant. So you see where we're heading with this. Right. Uh, I was outside. I, I know this, but, you know, it was interesting. I was outside yesterday walking through my yard, and I've got a big crape myrtle. And I was looking around at the garden and stuff, and I, I was just hearing this just general hum, like from off in a distance, this low-level hum. And finally, it kind of hit my brain that, what is that? And I started looking, and I looked up. And that crepe, it was a white nature's crepe, it was loaded with bees. And literally, you could hear the humming as if you were standing outside a beehive. Uh, And it just drove home to me the fact that, you know, I've got some crepe myrtle bark scale, but I'm not really inclined to pull the trigger on a systemic. Not that it's going to wipe them all out overnight, but go Um, ahead and talk about that a little bit. Well, the
1: interesting thing about bees, especially in the summer, um, crepe myrtles in particular are not actually that valuable of a food resource for bees. Okay. Uh, The reason they're all over your crepe myrtles in the summer is because there's nothing else out there. Right, right. For people that have chickens, Mm -hmm. if you go out and look at your chicken food on the ground, you'll see bees on the chicken food Mm. uh, trying to get the powdered chicken food because basically the pollen is the bee's protein source. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nectar is their carbohydrate source, and those are the two foods Mm -hmm. that they eat. Mm Um, so in the summer, if there's crepe myrtles out there, even though it's not a very good food source, it's Mm -hmm. one of the only things available. So they're going to hit it. They're going to try and get something to it. Um, one of the things that I'd like to try to do, and this is measured because Mm -hmm. bees forage over such a big area, but if you can plant other things that do provide bees with better nutrition, Mm -hmm. um that flower in the summer, which that's the big trick, Mm -hmm. uh, then the bees will actually avoid the crape myrtle and go to your other plants. Uh, Things such as um, uh, Mexican sage, uh, or Texas Mm -hmm. sage, that's a native plant, they're very drought resistant. Um, They actually will flower every time we get a little 30 second rain. Mm -hmm. Uh, That will rejuvenate the plant and they'll flower in the summer. Um, Vitex, which is not a native to Texas, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's called a superstar plant because it produces so much nectar and pollen.
2: Now, are you talking about the the white forms of Vitex or the traditional one you see in yards that are more purplish?
1: Actually, bees will utilize both of them. Okay.
2: Well, those do good. They, you know, they kind of tend to play out as we get into this part of summer. Uh, You can prune them and rejuvenate them, try to get a little more bloom. I've noticed that... um, Basil blooms are really attractive, and there's a basil called um, African blue basil, and it makes a big bush. I mean, it, it'll it be three and a half, four feet high eventually, or could be, uh, but it loads up with blooms, and it just goes and goes and goes. Unlike the little culinary basils, they bloom, but it, there's not as much for right bee food on, on um, that plant.
1: Well, actually... Just about any herb Mm -hmm. that people will plant, um, especially if you do a lot of companion gardening, um, a lot of those herbs will repel insects. Well, they don't necessarily repel bees because bees are very attracted to most herbs. Mm -hmm. Um, You can pretty much just plant the herb without even looking at Mm -hmm. the bees, and the bees are going to utilize it.
2: I've noticed them a lot on rosemary blooms, and the the prostrate type, uh, rather than upright, the prostrate type... Blooms a little more than the upright. Both bloom, right? Uh, but the pro- if you're doing it for bees, have something that cascades over a container. I've also noticed that uh, they do like thyme blooms that bloom mm-hmm. out there and lavender and, and lavender really. Oh, they love that, lavender. That's a bit of a challenge for us in our climate here. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah. Uh, what else was I thinking of the other day? I was, I'm always observing plants to see what the bees are after. Uh, and when we say bees, we're talking about a lot of species of things. The European honeybee is our imported and, and managed insect. I uh, think of it like, uh, you know, a farmer having dairy cattle and right. taking care of them to get the milk. Uh,
1: the, uh, there are lots of native pollinators oh, gosh. as well. There's bumblebees, Bumble carpenter bees, bees, yeah. bees yeah. butterflies, fly, regular mm-hmm. flies uh, mm-hmm. do a lot of pollination too.
2: Mm-hmm. Good. Well, let's see. Ruelia is another good one. It can be a little invasive, but it's a Mexican petunia is another name for it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I always see bees bumping around inside there. Um, Well, anyway, so support the bees. Maybe give them something that they like more than crepe myrtle, sounds like, is your your suggestion.
1: um, Variety. I mean, it's sort of the same truth that we have for people. Mm -hmm. Um, People that eat the same food every day are not necessarily going to be the healthiest. Mm -hmm. So if you can provide a variety of things, that's true for bees as well. And plus, it's really good for your landscaping. Uh, It gives variety to what people see when they look at your house.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess another point to be made if we're talking about planting for bees would be Uh, having more of a mass of things than, like, one plant here of one type and one plant here of another type? Don't bees kind of like to stay on a species and Um, and go back and forth working? Well,
1: individual honeybees, Mm -hmm. if you look at a single bee inside Mm -hmm. a hive, once it goes out and forages Mm -hmm. for something and it finds a plant, Mm -hmm. it will stay exclusively with that plant. Okay. Okay. and that's how pollination works really mm-hmm. well because a bee, if it goes from one peach tree, it'll go to another peach tree. It won't go to um, some other a squash plant on the, mm-hmm. in a garden or something. Okay. Um, and when it goes back to the hive and does its little waggle dance mm-hmm. to tell the other hi- other bees in the mm-hmm. hive, then those bees will tend to focus on that one plant. Um, now I'm not sure. You may need some researchers at the honeybee lab to mm-hmm. confirm this. Um, if it's day-to-day, and over, I don't think okay. that it's the same over the over course of time. Right. So day-to-day or week-to-week, they'll change to another mm-hmm. source.
2: But wouldn't it be good if you plant something to not just have one of those plants, but to have plenty so there's more blooms for the bees to visit?
1: Um, well, it, because of how the volume of bees, um, over its lifetime, a bee will only collect one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. Wow. Wow. Um, so to make a pound of honey, it takes 2 million flower visits. Wow. Um, so it's really hard in a small, uh, even 4 or 5-acre plot mm-hmm. to plant enough forage for bees to really affect how much food they have. Okay. Um, that's, now, that's mostly if you're talking about ground cover type plants. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're talking about trees... Trees have more flowers per square foot than plants on the ground. So fruit trees or even non-fruit trees that still flower, uh, mm-hmm. things like um, redbud trees mm-hmm. or uh, honey locust, which nobody likes because it's got the big thorns, mm-hmm. um, but they, they put a lot of blooms out. Okay. Uh, those give a much higher density of flowers, and the bees can utilize that And it makes a little bit more sense, financially speaking, if you're going to spend money planting stuff Mm -hmm. for the bees, to um, give them something that's actually going to make a difference to them.
2: Okay. Well, that's good. Hey, we're visiting with Chris Barnes. Chris is the owner of Cornerstone Honeybees, and a member, and and, uh, in fact, uh, the youth program director of the Brazos Valley Beekeepers Association. Uh, This is still a call-in show. Uh, Our number is 845 845-5689. 845 8, If you've got a bee question or if you just want to talk a plant question, we'll take both. Uh, give us a call eight four five five six eight nine, or email me at gardensuccess at TAMU Dot edu and for those of you who have emailed in this past week, uh, I may be a little slow getting back to them. I've been gone, and uh, we're kind of busy doing some other things today here. So uh, just be patient, and I will be getting back to you on the email. But if we if we get a B email, I'll go ahead and call that one out right away. Uh, so this is your chance to uh, get a lot of information from a B guru. So. <laughs>
1: Um, Before we leave the the topic, if we are going to leave the topic of planting for bees, um, I should mention that if you're going to plant something anyway, uh, for example, um, I have three acres of a pasture behind my house that Mm -hmm. I love to go out and dove hunt. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to plant something for other species, Mm -hmm. then it's good to think about bees for those other species too. So things like sunflowers or... Um, mm. uh, uh, buckwheat that put, provides a lot of seeds mm-hmm. for, for bees or for birds or, or forage for deer and other wildlife. Okay. Um, then you can kind of mix your purpose and it becomes a little bit more of a, a financially making sense, if that's a good way to put yeah, that.
2: Get more bang for your you buck.
1: Make more bang for your buck. That's the right way to put it.
2: Okay, good. Well, that that is good advice for sure. Well, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the upcoming events with the Brazos Valley Beekeepers. Oh, looks like we got a phone call we need to take. So let's go ahead and go to the phones and talk to Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I think I have the wrong call. Who am I speaking to? To Wayne. Wayne, thank you. Hello, Wayne.
0: Hey, Skip. How's it going?
2: It's going well. What's up?
0: Uh, I don't have a bee question. I have a plant question. Okay. I have, uh, I planted last uh, fall some calla lilies and nursed them through pretty cold winter that we had. And in the spring, I got a nice blossom off. I, I split them up into three different units and got a nice blossom off of one. And they have just collapsed on me. Is that due to the heat, or do they go dormant in our climate, or what's the deal? I'm new to callas.
2: Well the hot and dry is really hard on calla lilies. They do not like dry at all. Uh, Definitely Mm -hmm. not a xeric species. I see them growing in Houston which is pretty hot as well and muggy. So uh, although 100 degrees you know it's kind of like the bets off for a whole lot of plants. Uh, When temperatures get that high a lot of plants have trouble with photosynthesis and respiration which is part of their survival. Uh, So I, I wouldn't rule heat out completely. But especially if they dry out a little bit or, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but if you overwater them in the heat, if roots don't have good oxygen, the heat is putting ultimate demands on a plant. So if you had a waterlogged soil, a plant would survive better in cooler spring weather than it would in the heat of summer because the demands are less because that waterlogging kind of shuts them down. The roots can't get oxygen. So either too dry or excessively and consistently waterlogged, uh, it can both be a death knell for those colours.
0: What would you recommend that I do with them uh, since they don't have any leaves? I mean, they're, they're back down to the ground. Should I dig them up, see what they're looking like, or leave them alone? Or?
2: Yeah, I would leave them alone. Are they in a, a bright shade or are they in deep shade or full sun or what?
0: Uh, I've got two of the three are in very bright sh- uh, sun, uh, bright light. And one of them gets uh, full light for a couple hours a day okay.
2: in the
3: evening.
2: That, that sounds like a pretty good exposure, especially the bright light part. Uh, you know, when we're dealing with this time of the year, full sun's a little rough on them. Under ideal conditions, they can survive it. But uh, so I don't know. I, I would leave them alone. I don't think I'd go digging because then you're just adding another issue for them to have to deal with. Okay. Yeah, you can't dig them up without breaking a lot of roots off and... So.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, is there any reason to ever dig them up?
2: Not that I know of, unless you just want to divide them and put them in other places or share them with friends or something like that.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Well, that answers my question, and maybe I'll give you a call in the, in the, in the fall and, <laughs> and tell you they're doing all right or they're dead.
2: Yeah, give me a report back. I'd like to see how they do for you. Okay. By sure. the way, are, are, are yours kind of a pink or a lavender? Or, no. A... They're white. White. Okay. All right. Thanks, Wayne.
0: You're welcome. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. All right. Now we're going to go to the phones and talk to Sarah. Hello, Sarah.
3: Hi. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you.
3: First of all, I want to. I so appreciate you and KMU for doing this program. You're big supporters of uh, KMU. Well, thank and you for I'm that. Calling, I'm calling. i call, and I wish more people will call to support you guys. Um. Um. Uh, the reason I'm calling is I'm calling for a friend and they had a tree in their front yard that was going the roots were going all over getting into their plumbing okay and she's been asking they have to take everything out but they've been asking me what can they plant now she's ready to put plant some trees
2: do they have a home septic system or is this a commercial sewer line for the city
3: it's for the city. The, okay. The, uh, they're in, okay. Yeah,
2: they're in town. Well, that line shouldn't leak, and it shouldn't have openings where roots can get in. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes you can have a root growing beside a line, and the root gets bigger, and over many years, it will, you know, start to press on and perhaps crack a line, depending on what it's made out of. Uh, but mm-hmm. but uh, roots get in where they they have a leak, and they will find their way in, and then they proliferate mm-hmm. inside and clog it up. You can run your little... You know, store-bought rotor-rooter machines, and we're not talking about the hand crank. We're talking about a motorized one. In through mm-hmm. there, or hire someone to do that periodically. You can also put some crystals of, uh, I believe it's copper. It's a copper, copper sulfate or something. Crystals down, flush them down the line, and that will burn the tree roots uh, in the line. It won't kill your tree. Uh, just doing it according to label, uh, and then they in that moist, humid or whatever. Um, microbially rich environment they rot away pretty quick but uh, mm-hmm. it's best to just find out what's wrong and get the line fixed if that's the case
3: it uh, is an old house so you know it's
2: yeah like well, a
3: really old house so y- that could be one of the I-
2: it may have a clay line it's it's possible that yeah. there's a clay pipe under there or something if it's really yeah. old that but uh,
3: th- they have cut down the tree and everything but they do want to plant some more so do you you have any she was like
2: Please ask well if I there, can that is a, that's
3: not going that's yeah, a wide um, open,
2: I, pretty wide I, open I question. I always I always say people when they ask for uh, recommend a plant it's kind of like giving me your credit card and saying go to the mall and buy me clothes. I'm not sure <laughs> where to start. Uh, I need a little more. Do they want a small tree, a big tree, a blooming tree, a deciduous tree, an evergreen tree? you know, and we can certainly recommend some, maybe have mm-hmm. them uh, either email me here or email me at the extension okay. office or call, and we can send them some materials that give them some of the many options, but it would be helpful okay. to know exactly what it is they need. Chris, did you have a thought?
1: A- as a beekeeper, I would like to see them plant flowering trees that bees are gonna use. There you go, so. there you go. That yeah. That is another very good option. Uh, so okay.
2: Uh, anyway, I'm not avoiding the question. I just uh, can't give a good answer uh, until we drill down a little further.
3: Yeah, I absolutely understand. At least I did my part. She's been asking me to call you.
2: There you go. You're a good neighbor.
3: And I I just wanted to kind of tap people to support our KMU.
2: Well, hey, we really appreciate that very much. (laughs) Thank you. Tell your friends about it that are gardeners. Uh, We would like them to listen to this show.
3: Yeah. Oh, v, v. my husband never misses your show. Okay. Well, thank uh, you, Lisa. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Have a
3: great day. You thank too. you. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: All right. Uh, now we got a question from Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Hello. I just called Sarah Lisa. How is Lisa? That's
4: okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, I'm on a couple of lines here. Um, things thinking about with the bees. Um, he's. Talking more about hunting bees, but what about like um, singular bees? I, I've got Duranta in the back and I've got a blue salvia in the front that are always hit by the different forms of maybe some solitary bees. Yes. Um, but then up there, and I am, I'm in Cyprus. So, but I do a lot of stuff with friends up in Bryan and I've been looking for trees to plant up there that are flowering.
1: Well, Chris, so why don't what you? what is the best bet? Yeah. Um, well, different kinds of bees will use different plants, mostly based on the the flower construction, um, a little bit uh, to the flower color too. Um, honeybees do not see, <clears throat> excuse me, into the red spectrum very well. They see more into the blue and the ultraviolet. Um, I don't know about the solitary bees, but I think that they can see more of the red spectrum than honeybees do. Um, But there are, like, for example, roses. uh, The flower construction for a rose, uh, the petals are really big and really dense, and generally you never see honeybees on roses because the bees can't get down to where the nectar is. Um, Bigger bees, such as... um, bumblebees carpenter bees uh things like that their proboscis is much longer so that they can actually reach down and and get those so those type of bees will use um flowers such as a rose that has a bigger petal construction um yeah that's the same is true for whether you're talking about trees or flowers in your uh ornamental flowers or even plants in your garden Mm -hmm. uh there are some garden plants, that the flower is more adapt to uh, the bigger species of bees, Uh, tomatoes, for example. Uh, You don't see very many honeybees on tomatoes, and it's mostly because of the construction of the flower. Did that answer your question, or do you have... I I think she was asking about recommendations for trees, too. Yeah,
4: but I really would look for that tree recommendation as far as what's going to be a good flowering tree that, of course, I mean... Is it going to dump stuff all over the place? You know, like if I'm thinking about a Mexican plum, I'm thinking about the right. things that would um, be
1: good. One of the or things why? that I usually look for is when the tree flowers. Um, because for, for me as a beekeeper, it doesn't do my bees a lot of good if it flowers at the same time that everything else is flowering along the roadsides. Uh, right. If there's already tons of pollen and nectar available, adding more isn't that useful to the bees. So I like trees and, and things that will flower either very early in the spring, such as Mexican plum trees. Uh, those generally will flower, I've seen them flower as early as February mm. here in our area. Um, they're also native, which I kind of like that because mm-hmm. that means there's a little less maintenance as far as growing them. Um, Skip could probably talk about that topic a little more than I can. Um, And then the other end of that would be the summer type plants such as vitex, um, the Mexican uh, sage bushes or Texas sage, um, because those flower in the summer. Um,
2: Yeah, good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and you're you know the the idea is we're doing a couple of things we're supporting our local honeybees and we're also supporting our local pollinators in general and so uh, as you plant a variety of things you kind of cover your bases pretty well there too
1: yeah pretty much anything that you plant for honeybees is going to help the native bees as well
4: right okay and so I'm looking at, um, I, I know just dealing with it, it's kind of a heavy clay soil, the property that I've been planting on. Okay. Do I need to amend that? Do I need to add some gypsum to that? What? It's just been very difficult.
2: Are, are you talking about a landscape planting or is this more of a natural area?
4: It's a landscape. It's a home, but it's a large lot, very large lot. Okay. okay. Off, off of Texas, um, kind of Villa Maria, Texas area. And lots of trees were there for a long time they've died out it's time to try to put some more in there and right. I'm trying to do more native to the area
2: well and I you know I can hardly I can hardly talk about um, growing plants without starting my sentence with add compost but
1: when oh, yeah. we're talking
2: about truly native plants then they're going to do what you don't need to add compost for a post oak to grow you know we don't need to right. add compost for Yopon pond to grow. And a lot of a lot of the natives, uh, post oak's not a good bee, bee example, but I'm ju- it's just the point I'm making is the answer to your question depends on what you're going to plant, and if possible, right. choose natives, choose adapted plants. Sometimes things are not fully native, but they're adapted and have good features. Uh, but um, choose those kinds of plants so you're not having to baby them along, because as you move from, you know, a flower bed toward uh, upward into perennial shrubs and trees even if you amend the soil early on, that's fine for flowers because we're replanting all the time. But when you get into a tree, that early amendment isn't gonna last more than a year or two. Right. And, then, and then it's gotta live in what you planted it in. So exactly, uh, that's another reason to select those kind of plants.
4: Okay, okay.
2: I do wanna mention uh, something and there is a, a website called pollinator.org and pollinator.org has uh, across the nation, These very helpful guides on planting for pollinators, and uh, the um, there's one that there are two of them that cover Texas. One of them is um, covers uh, Texas and Oklahoma, and the region is called the Prairie Parkland. The Prairie Parkland, Um, and they are I don't know. This one has 24 pages, just to give you an idea. It's full of charts of all the different kinds of plants. and it talks about what, you know, attracts bats, what attracts bees, what attracts pollinating beetles, for example. It goes into birds, butterflies, flies, moths, and even things that are wind pollinated, and then gives you long lists that include uh, annual flowers, perennial flowers, shrubs, vines, and trees for your region. And this is not uh, these are mostly, uh, in fact, I think they're all native plants in this particular list. But pollinator.org is a wealth of good information. Uh, and I'm just going to, this is just an example. Uh, you can go down to a chart that has habitat requirements uh, for plants. And so, catalpa, uh, the large carpenter bee, uh, is especially fond of catalpa. Uh, uh, catnip, the bumblebee, the digger bee, the mason bee. Of course, these folks are interested in the native bees, but right. as as Chris was saying, a lot of these plants are also going to be attractive uh, to honeybees, but you just want to follow up with that.
4: That's good. That's good start.
2: Yeah, lots of information there.
4: Okay, great. All righty. Thank well, you so much.
2: Thank you for the call, Lisa. All right. Well, it looks like we took care of some calls there. Uh, you were talking about flower color. And uh, one it's been a while back when I first saw uh, pictures that depicted what ultraviolet markings look like to a bee. So we look at this flower and we may see just a color or maybe there's another color in there. But when you look at it from an ultraviolet perspective, it's like a landing strip. Uh, for an airplane coming into
1: the airport right Uh, there's colors in the flowers especially in the petals mm -hmm. that we don't see mm -hmm. that the bees do yeah pretty cool stuff Um, and it's it even flowers that we think are kind of dull and drab such as horse mint Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't talked about the horse which is a a gray flower if you look at that ultraviolet it's spectacular, yes. and there's a reason that that's a very loved plant for bees. Oh, a wild wow. plant that's along the roadways.
2: Yeah, it's in the it's in the family of, of our salvias, but it is a wild plant. And uh, I was uh, stopping and taking pictures of some along the roadside this past year that had more of a kind of maroonish color to the flower than the standard kind of muddy white right. uh, look. And uh, just i found that interesting.
1: Well, the other thing that's interesting about not just horsemint, but there's other plants that do this too, is that different plants will give uh, most people know that they will give the the honey different flavors. Yes. But it will actually make your honey and specifically for horsemint kind of spicy. Really? So it'll give it a kind of a peppery twang to it. Okay.
2: You know, I have I've had honey before that had a lot of horsemint in it uh, and I've noticed that taste I grew up in South Texas where white brush uh, is popular, and it makes the, uh, I will say, clearest uh, honey. It's not not the dark brown; it's mm-hmm. a lighter colored, uh, and uh, a very unique flavor. And if you boy, if you've ever had honey made from an orange grove, uh, citrus blooms, that's a that's well, that a whole gets sold experience. specifically
1: because it's in such high demand and people like it so oh, much. Oh yeah, it's a very distinctive flavor. That's cool.
2: Well, I. I just started to talk a little bit before we were taking calls. I want you to tell us a little bit about some of your activities. First of all, since you're the program director, and by the way, I'm talking to Chris Barnes with Cornerstone Honeybees here. Uh, uh, Since you're the program director of the Brazos Valley Beekeepers Association for your youth programs, tell us about the youth program, and I believe it begins in August?
1: Yes. The youth program, um, back when our club first started, back in 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we decided early on was that we wanted to, as a a part of our mission, was to train the next generation of beekeepers. Mm -hmm. Um, When we first met, we sat around my living room, and at 55 at that time, I was the youngest person in the room. So we we felt there was a need to get younger people involved in beekeeping, Um, and so one of the things that we started doing was we have a youth program. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way we set it up for our club is that it's a two-year program for junior high and high school age kids, Um, and there's two parts to it. The first part is uh, the youth program or the youth where we actually teach them how to be beekeepers. And if they go through the academics and the field trips, then they get their own beehive and bee suit and smokers and equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about seven to eight hundred dollars worth of stuff that they get as for being part of the program. Wow! Uh, and we set them up with their own hive of bees, and we set them up with an adult mentor in the club, so there's one-on-one instruction at that point, uh, so that they can learn to be beekeepers. They, it's their bees. Um, so any honey that they make any money that they mm-hmm. make from selling honey mm-hmm. is theirs um and then the second year uh we have a new set of uh, academic classes that they go through kind of a little bit more inv- in depth and more advanced um they at the end of or in spring We say at the end of the year, but Mm -hmm. they start in August. Mm -hmm. Uh, They get a queen, and we teach them how to split their hive that they got the previous year. So now they go from one hive to two hives. And once you know how to do that, then it's up to you. You can have two hives. You could have 5,000 hives. Uh, It's interesting that one of the uh, state directors for the state association, the Texas Beekeepers Association, he got his start. Back in the early 2000s, as a youth in the, one of the clubs up in Dallas. Okay. Uh, and he's got 5,000, 10,000 hives or something like that.
2: And how often, again, do you meet? Do you start in August? You, you we finished? start
1: in August with the academic portions mm-hmm. uh the kids meet uh our club meets on the third tuesday of every month okay so it's a monthly. um so the kids meets we begin that their classes at six o'clock in the evening mm-hmm. uh, currently we're meeting at brian high school okay in the blue campus auditorium okay um and the youth classes, uh, which we say it's the youth classes, but we have a lot of adults come to those classes too, mm-hmm. because new beekeeping is new beekeeping. It doesn't right. really matter how old you are.
2: So find a child and show up with them. Uh,
1: you don't even have to have a child. <laughs> oh, with okay, you. okay. You can just come I, on your I own. I thought that was the ticket through the door. Um, well, <laughs> the kids get their, the free bee suit and the hives. Oh, okay. <laughs> we don't give that to the adults. So there's no cost for this program? Uh, they do have to join the club, which okay. is $25 a year. All
2: right. Uh, It's a pretty phenomenal deal. Let me repeat this just so
1: it sinks in for those listening.
2: So for twenty-five dollars a year, you number one, you join the club. Number two, you're given the equipment for beekeeping, and you're given a mentor to help you, and you're given bees to go in your hive. That's pretty much it. Yes. My mind is going. Oh my gosh! I don't know that there's a better deal for any kind of education it's, and hands-on experience out
1: there. I I don't know of one. Um, yeah. Well, and it gets better because it, when you become a graduating senior, yeah, if you've stuck with your beekeeping, mm-hmm. um, you can apply for a scholarship and we give you cash money. There you go. Can't beat that. So, well, let me. And today, so I think we've given away about seventy-five hundred dollars.
2: Okay. Well, say say again roughly how much is just the value of that equipment?
1: Um, well, the... the just the beehive boxes mm-hmm. and frames and the bee suit and the smoker and then the bees themselves is about mm-hmm. seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred dollars um, that they get the first year.
2: Okay, folks. Uh, if you know any youth that has any kind of life science interest. Uh, when you get into the world of bees and we're not going to have time to talk that today uh, but the fascination of how they work and what they do I remember the first time it dawned on me that they build perfect straight lines of six celled uh, um, six-sided cells in the dark <laughs> that's uh, that's a head-scratcher right there when you look at the the way that they can when they lose a queen uh take something that's not a queen and by feeding it different turn it into a queen and all the Wonders of how bees find flowers, how they communicate with each other. I, I don't, I'm probably just going to get you going here, but go ahead.
1: I, yeah, once <laughs> once I start talking about the youth program and stuff like that, I really get on a soapbox. There you go. Um, one of the things that I do require is that I interview all the kids when they apply for the mm-hmm. program. That I want them to be the ones interested in beekeeping, um, not something where the kids are being arm twisted by their parents because. Yeah. I hate to say this, but it's true. Sometimes the yeah. parents see how much money the kids get, and the parents are the ones that want the beekeeping. Uh-oh. And if the kids are not the ones interested, right. it doesn't work very well. Sure. And it, sh- it shows really fast. Yeah. Um, so this is one where I want the kids almost kicking and screaming, dragging the parents to the meetings.
2: That's a good point. That is a good point. And uh, maybe... Uh, I don't know, maybe a good test would be to bring your kiddos to a Brazos Valley beekeeper meeting and let them hear and learn a little bit and meet some beekeepers. And that might pique their interest to yeah, see if you, they were interested. You don't have to like
1: be a that. club member to come to our meetings. Okay. Um, and when are your meetings? The, our, the club meetings are the third Tuesday of every month. Okay. Um, I haven't updated. The, I happen to be the webmaster for the club, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't updated the Website with this, the August meeting yet, but it's the third Tuesday. Okay. Uh, like I said, the youth and newbie class begins at six. Um, we have um, a regular, uh, like a guest speaker, come in and talk about some other aspect of beekeeping at seven. Um, we try and keep all of the boring club businessy type mm-hmm. discussions out of the meetings um, so that we don't bore people to death okay. with that. Okay. Um,
2: well, speaking of not boring club discussions, tell us a little bit about a B-School that you guys right. have coming up in September.
1: Well, the B-School is actually the fundraiser that pays for all the youth program. Okay. Um, which um, one of the requirements that I do have of the kids in the youth program is that they have to come help work at the B-School. hmm because it's what's paying for everything. Yeah. Um, The bee school itself is going to be on, we hold it in the fall of every year, Mm -hmm. which um, that's not a good time to start new hives, but -hmm. it's a good time to start learning about bees and getting all your equipment ready, uh, which is why we picked the fall to have our bee school. Um, This year, our bee school is going to be on Saturday, September 24th. Okay. Uh, It's an all-day class. Um, and it's I shouldn't say it's a class, it's actually about forty classes. Yeah,
2: and some going concurrently. Through. Yeah,
1: there's I think we have eight different classrooms mm-hmm. going all at the same time. Uh, each class runs about an hour long. Um, I know that one of our classes we have a guy by the name of Skip Richter talking about planting for. Pollinators. I heard um, about that guy. Uh, I, I think he's pretty good from what I've heard. Well, he thinks so. Okay. Nobody else does. So. <laughs> um, the school begins at 8 o'clock in the morning, yeah. and it will run until uh, the last class ends at 4, uh, which is a little earlier than we've ended in the past. But the reason that we're ending earlier is that there's actually another beekeeping event on the same day. Okay. Well, Um, let's
2: stay on the school for just a moment, and I do want to talk about the the infused also. Okay. um, So the beekeeper school, uh, I think last year you had several hundred people there, right?
1: Yeah, we actually had over 300 people last year. uh, And we were still dealing with the tail end of COVID. There were still some restrictions going on. Okay. Uh, That's pretty much ended by now, even though COVID's still around. Um, People have learned to deal with it. Mm Uh, So we're expecting probably 400 people this year. Okay, good. Um, Registration for the B-School will actually open on August the 1st. Uh, We're not taking registrations for it yet. Um, It's going to be through the club website, which is uh, dot .org.
2: B V B E E K S
1: stands for Brazos Valley Beekeepers. Okay, so,
2: org, and so that uh, after August first, yeah, go on there. August
1: first, we'll ha- open the registration. Okay, uh, registration is going to be I think it's the same price as it was last year. We we're able to keep our costs mm-hmm. the same. It's seventy dollars for an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one twenty five for a couple. Uh, If you have kids in tow that are 12 and up, they're $15 a piece. Okay. Uh, That just pays for their lunch because lunch is included with the registration. Okay. Um, And then we have some, when you go to register, there will be other things. Like we have a a deal with one of the major bees keeping supply vendors Mm -hmm. that you can buy some supplies at a fairly heavily discounted price. Okay. And that's
2: Saturday, September 24th, and it, it begins and ends?
1: Uh, the doors are going to open at 7. Okay. Uh, classes begin at, actually I should say at 7.45, 745. when we have our big get-together meeting. Okay. Um, and and uh, it will end at 4 o'clock in the afternoon.
2: At 4 o'clock. So now let's move on to the next thing you were going to tell us about. That's This is B-Day yes. in the Brazos Valley. So what's next? After um,
1: the- well, yeah. the reason we're ending at 4 p.m. is because Um, There's a company named Bee Weaver. They're a big commercial operation uh, just south of Nevisota that is having their own event on the same day. Uh, Mm -hmm. Their event begins at 4 Mm -hmm. p.m., and it's called Infused. Um, And uh, I think it's – don't give me – quoted about the price. There's a link to them on our registration page as well. Uh But uh, I think it's like $5 to 10. And Uh it's basically, they will talk about how to do infused honeys, uh, how to do things with wax. They'll have some uh, hives that people can stand in a screened-in enclosure and look at the hives. Uh Uh, And then toward the evening, there's going to be a honey cook-off uh, and if you want to sample the honey cook off, I think those tickets are like $15 a piece.
2: Okay. Uh, well, that that's cool. I actually went down there for the first time uh, this past month with family, and we visited the meadery. Is a
1: meadery the property? Yes, term Wallflower Meadery uh, is yeah. part of Bee Weaver. Uh,
2: and I was the first thing I was struck by were how many, by the way, mead is honey made or uh, alcohol made from honey.
1: Right. Of, uh,
2: would you call it a wine? Or? Uh, it's kind or of somewhere it between it a
1: wine and a beer. <laughs> okay. Um, it's more of a wine than it is yeah. a beer.
2: But they had a dozen different kinds of, of, of mead type honey, and uh, a lot of it, I guess, is infused, right? You could, yes, yeah. You the, could
1: pick a lavender,
2: you could pick a citrusy, lemony kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, if you
1: make mead just straight from honey, mm-hmm. it tends to be pretty potent stuff. And mm-hmm. it doesn't, actually, the flavor not that good, I'll be honest. Um, but when you start infusing it with other flavors, then it gets to be pretty tasty stuff.
2: Well, I actually made a gallon of mead after last year's beekeeper school. Uh, our local homebrew store was there, and they'll have a booth to, again, by the way, uh, was selling some of their supplies, I believe. I
1: don't know if they're coming this year. Oh, is because, that right? Because that's one of the things that's going on at Infused at Bee Weaver. Oh, okay. So we're okay. kind of patching or matching, mixing yeah. and matching the different. Offerings. Well, anyway,
2: I just had a gallon jug, and uh, you know, made made the mead from that. Uh, I know I know how to do winemaking and beer making, but I did everything wrong. I left it in there too long. I didn't siphon it off of the yeast dregs. And then when I went to siphon it out, I accidentally bumped it and the cloud of yeast dregs went up in the mead. And so I thought, okay, this isn't going to be any good. It was great. I mean, it's kind of hard to mess it up in my opinion. So I, I didn't know to infuse it, but I thought it was pretty good.
1: It, it, (laughs) If you're used to making your own beer or your own mm-hmm. wine, it's a whole lot easier than if you're brand new to it. I've made one batch, yeah. and I have to admit it wasn't very good. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Well, that's good. Okay, so, boy, September 22nd, Saturday. 24th. Uh, 24th. Wow. September 24th, Saturday Saturday. Uh, Beginning at First Baptist Church in Bryan with the Bee School. I assume it's Mm -hmm. at First Baptist again. Yes, it is. And then it goes to about four and then shifts down to Bee Weaver in Navasota for the infused event, a separate event down there. Uh, And you'll learn all about uh, the things that can be done uh, with the honey when it comes to uh, all the different products that they make down there. So what a great opportunity along with the youth program. When... when, I didn't catch the registration time for youth. Can they register now? Uh,
1: Actually, we are taking registration for the youth now, Mm -hmm. and I need to get them in fairly quickly because classes for the youth start on the club meeting on the third Tuesday of the month of August. All right. There you go. Uh, So if you're interested in that,
2: you can go to bvbeeks.org and find out more and get a hold of Chris Barnes. Uh, we probably have time for another call. If someone would like to give us a call about bees or plants today, we'd be glad to do that. We did have an email uh, from Robert who said that he found that his that the Texas wild sunflowers are more often visited by singular bees than honeybees, but a six-foot jungle of sunflowers is fabulous to look at, as well as for the many seed birds uh, to visit. Now, I don't know exactly what he mean, means by Texas sunflower. I know we, we have a number of different kinds of wild sunflower and sunflower relatives around, uh, and that reminded me uh, of the the Maximilian sunflower, which is a tall, narrow stem with flowers all up and down it. It's a native that blooms in the fall, and it. it I don't know if sunflower is just sort of because it looks sort of like a sunflower part of the name, but... Um, When we plant for bees, and you alluded to this earlier, we really need to remember that there's several seasons that they need food. It's easy to find stuff in the spring. I mean, the highway weeds are blooming and feeding them. Uh, When summer comes, it's a little tough. And you mentioned Vitex, and we talked about, I mentioned African blue basil and some of those kind of plants. But then you get into the fall season, and we have the Maximilian sunflowers that bloom native. We have um, the the, um, uh, fall aster, Uh, which is uh, southwestern native. I don't know that it's native in this area specifically, but uh, that's a a pollinator plant. And and boy, a lot of the beneficial insects really like that
1: one too. Uh, Uh, Around damp, wet areas, there's something called goldenrod.
2: Goldenrod,
1: there you go. um, Oh my
2: gosh, that thing is, if you want to, make an insect collection go to a goldenrod plant
1: well the funny thing about goldenrod and we kind of mentioned this before is that the honey from goldenrod mm-hmm. some people really really do not like it they say it tastes like dirty wet socks
2: what's wrong with dirty wet socks
1: i personally i love goldenrod <laughs> honey I, it's it's a strong molassesy dark flavor yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people don't like the dark strong flavors they like the light clear um uh, flowery or uh, fruity mm-hmm. type flavors. Yeah. Uh, well,
2: but but that is a good bee supporting plant. But, yeah, and and we, and especially in to, the fall. That's a huge one. Yeah, and we need to uh, think about that when we landscape. I, we say think about that when you landscape, period, because, I mean, if everything's pretty in the spring and then the rest of the year it's a sea of green or brown, who who wh- who wants that? Well, So, what's the food supply for bees from January through, well, when do they kind of get going? I guess they're right. Even um, like,
1: yeah. Usually, it's funny, but most of the bee nectar food source mm-hmm. that comes in really doesn't get started until late March. Late March. Um, mm-hmm. and in fact, we, as a beekeeper, will tell people early on that bees will starve, more hives will starve out in early March than any other time of the year.
2: So what do you, do you uh, put, do you put out like a honey a sugar water? Um, if
1: if they're short on food, we will just um, supplement them with sugar water, and we'll put feeders inside the hive.
2: Okay. Well, since we're kind of getting close to the end, I did want to uh, ask you what about this hot weather, the drought? Um, I've noticed at my house. I mean, if I've got a drip irrigation tube dripping, there are honeybees gathered around it trying to get a drink of water, and so. This time
1: of the year, they're actually collecting water more than they're looking for sugar or pollen. And so, what do we do? How do Um, we help? If you've got a a water source for them, Mm -hmm. um, have it. Um, They like, especially. It's funny because they like stagnant, still water more Mm -hmm. than flowing water. Yes. Um, So people will say, "Well, they need clean water." It's like, "No, they actually like dirty ditch water." Mm -hmm. Now, that's the same type of place that mosquitoes will like to breed sometimes. Mm And of course, with water restrictions, we can't always like water our plants or yards. Right. But if there's a bird bath or something like that, those right. are perfect.
2: Any, or if it's if it tends to have steep sides, you could put some little stones on in there where they can kind of walk down to the water's right. edge. Right. Or and... if
1: it's a still floating, if it's still water, mm-hmm. put something in there that'll float. Okay. That they can land on um, and not just get in the water and drown.
2: What What is a beekeeper? do you do at this time of the year? Um,
1: We make sure that, well normally we'll locate our hives where there's a known water source. Okay. Uh, Where I live out by Culture Field, there's a three acre pond which still holds water, fortunately, Uh um, about 60 yards from the hives.
2: Okay, all right. Well, boy that's a lot of information. Uh, This is just getting me fired up and ready to talk a lot more about bees, but we're down to about a minute left here, so uh, just uh, wrapping it up, anything you want to kind of repeat, emphasize, or um, anything we haven't talked about?
1: Probably the biggest thing is that when people get started with beekeeping, there's so much information that their eyes glass over, mm-hmm. and they have information overload, uh, which is one reason why we start in the fall, because they have a chance to digest some of this mm-hmm. information and starting their hives in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um it gives them a chance to get through all that information.
2: I found beekeepers to be a good, uh, friendly bunch. And I think a lot of beekeepers, if someone was really interested, would be happy to show them their bees and to kind of give them a little bit of an intro. I'm not saying any beekeeper you know, go knock on their door. But uh, I think uh, with the Brazos Valley Beekeepers, you'll find some folks, uh, if you're just curious uh, and kind of learning a little more about it, even before the school, might be willing to uh, help you out a little bit there. Am I speaking out of turn? No,
1: you're you're pretty much right. Um, whether I, I know that there's other beekeepers, some of which are commercial guys that have 1,200 hives here in town. That's a little. And bit they're still open to having people come really? out and talk to them all the time.
2: That is that is really cool. Uh, I tell you the the um, the world of bees is an amazing one. And uh, when you make statements like, I don't I can't remember how many flower visits you said. it takes Two million. Two million to make a pound of honey and a bee in its lifetime, a twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. Uh, that is one hard-working group of folks right there in a beehive.
1: Well, they fly three miles from their hive to collect pollen and nectar.
2: Wow. Hey, Chris, it's been great having you on. I want to remind you all, Chris from Cornistone Honeybees has been our guest. If you're interested in the B-School, it'll open up for um, registrations August 1st at bvbeeks.org. And then there's also the youth program that begins in August, and you need to jump on that quick if you're interested. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week
0: as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the ArborGate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. ArborGate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com.
1: Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.